Hey everybody, how y'all doing? I'm Michael, joined by Alex as always. How's it going? And this is Fallen Through Plot Holes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. And this is part two of our series on Final Fantasy VI, the Super Nintendo RPG from Square, now Square Enix, uh, and of course the sixth game in the Final Fantasy series, and one of my favorite RPGs of all time. Today we're going to be talking about the plot of the uh, of the game. Last episode we talked about its development and kind of just what the game meant to me. Uh, it was a very, very much a, a thoughts and feelings episode that I honestly really enjoyed. So if you mm-hmm. want to experience that first part, you should go to ftp.podbean.com and uh, listen to it or whatever your podcast service of choice happens to be. Uh, if you just want to hear about the plot, well, good news, you've come to the right place. Because Alex, we got a pretty good episode today, I gotta say. I'm excited. So I was discussing this with Alex beforehand, but we're going to get... Well, I'm going to get a little indulgent, I guess is maybe more accurate to say, because Mm -hmm. normally with the Final Fantasy episodes, I try to keep it to a cadence of one episode for one game. You know, it seems a little weird to like do like split a game up between multiple episodes, but that's kind of what happened when I wrote the notes today. Mm -hmm. I wrote 10 pages worth of notes and got through halfway through the game and I went, (laughs) hmm. All right, then. I guess that's just what we're going to do. And I think a large part of that, Alex, is uh, because I, I, I thought that this, uh, this was maybe like a little bit much. And I went back and looked at my Final Fantasy VIII script mm-hmm. to see like what I did with that. And I realized something about that's different about six versus eight. Uh-huh. Eight has two characters that matter. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that that'll do it. Yep. Six has ten. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and there's, like, pretty much, like, every scene sort of matters in Final Fantasy VI, so even though it's, like, mm-hmm. a shorter game than eight, there's right. a lot of stuff you don't have to talk about in eight. You can skip most mm-hmm. of Timber, for instance. Right. Whereas here, it's like, nope, you're pretty much going to be mentioning more or less everything in this, so mm-hmm. have a fun. It is kind of a real testament to the game's design that... There is so much important stuff in that game that all fits on one Super Nintendo cartridge. Oh, yeah. As opposed to, like, you know, FF7 and 8. 7 is famously three discs. I believe 8 is 4. Uh, who is 8 4? 8 might be. I think, I think it is 4. Yeah. 9 is definitely 4. Mm-hmm. But, like, all three of those games is sort of like, yeah, you know, you can sort of get through the plot fairly straightforward. But 6 mm-hmm. is like one Super Nintendo cartridge. Like, very limited on space, but it's so densely packed that there's so much more to talk about. Yeah, it's it's really crazy how they do that. And I think it's a real testament to not only, like, how dense they made it, but also their design philosophy mm-hmm. behind how they were going to do this game and how they were going to write the characters of, like, mm-hmm. hey, we don't want to have a main character. And so because of that, we're going to have a lot of details for each of these characters in their own individual scenes. Right. Like... We're going to get into this, but I forget how often the game throws Terra out of your party. The obstinate mm. main character in this, you know, mm-hmm. ostensibly the main character is more accurate to say. And like forces you to use other characters and have them like do things and have like little bits of their backstory be teased out over the course of uh, the first half of the game. Right. And it was like, oh, yeah, I I totally forgot all about this because, yeah, when I first started writing this, I was like, OK, yeah, this is going to be a easy episode to knock out. It'll be no problem. Mm-hmm. I've played this game so many times and it turns out 
Well, it was still pretty easy to write. It was just right. very verbose. <laughs> right. It was straightforward, mm-hmm. but there's a lot. There is, yeah. <laughs> Probably the like I- the biggest like oh no sort of moment for me was when mm-hmm. I found a synopsis for this and like copied and pasted that synopsis just to see how long they made it and it was seven pages and it was missing so much stuff and I went mm, <laughs> this is gonna mm-hmm. be bad. Yep. But yeah. I do have to ask real quick, those scenes where it throws Terra out of your party and makes you use other people. How does the game handle, like, leveling people that haven't been in your party beforehand? So, what it does is that it takes an average of your party level. So Okay. Yeah, like, if, um, and it, see, what happens is that very often you're not having to leave characters behind and have mm-hmm. them not be leveled. Like, it'll usually have you focus on, okay, these four characters, and it'll switch you to another set of, like, three or four characters. Right, okay. So they're always constantly being leveled because of that, and so when you get mm-hmm. new people in, they'll be appropriately leveled as well. Right. See, that's that's interesting, because the the PS1 trio of Final Fantasies, particularly nine mm-hmm. really like to do that you know okay you have to use the other party members now mm-hmm. but they were kind of notoriously bad for accounting for level yeah. of them so like nine would sometimes just throw you into a dungeon with under level party members and be like oh figure this out now yep <laughs> um versus so the the approach of like switching you effectively to a different party mm. by design is it's one I kind of like, but I also remember it's one that Thirteen kind of caught a lot of flack for. Yeah, is that because, so? Yeah. Well, yeah, I've, I've, I remember people being like, "Oh, why don't you just let me use the full party? Why are you restricting it so much?" Mm. Yeah, it. They, it's all throughout the Final Fantasy series. They they find different ways to compensate for that. Like mm-hmm. Four does a very Final Fantasy Six sort of approach, where it's just constantly throwing new party members in and out. Like right. You'll use Edgar, or um, not Edgar, like Edge for a little bit, and then they'll throw him out in favor of, like, Palamiborum, and, like, then they'll be Mm -hmm. out for a little bit for, like, Kane or whatever. And, like, or, like, Final Fantasy VIII, where it's, like, yeah, you have all six party members, and occasionally it'll make you use those three incredibly underleveled party members, but Mm -hmm. it turns out level doesn't matter. It's all about your junctions and whatnot, so it's, who cares? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes it, like, for the most part, they're actually... I would say Final Fantasy usually is very good about that mm-hmm. until you get, yeah, like the Final Fantasy nines of the world where it's like, well, right. we didn't actually <laughs> count this time. Sorry, buddy. Nine was in general kind of a weird mashup of like old and new design philosophy mm-hmm. that is fun and charming in a lot of ways, but does occasionally hit that problem of like, you didn't really account for this. Yeah, you didn't think that and nobody's going to want to use Queena at all. Yeah. Mm. Poor blue mages just, just, oh man. Yeah. They, what happened is that Final Fantasy V happened and blue mage, mm-hmm. blue mages in that game are broken. Mm-hmm. If you know what you're doing, which granted right. you have to know what you're doing. And then ever since that point, they went, we cannot make blue mages overpowered. Mm-hmm. Like they're still pretty powerful at six, uh, seven, they're pretty powerful, and then you get to, like, eight, and they're like, okay, we're just gonna limit to, like, limit breaks and other stuff, because right. if, yeah. if we don't do that, people are just gonna be just doing, like, really dumb stuff with this. Right. I feel like a similar thing kind of happened to Dragoons, mm-hmm. which leads to Final Fantasy X's Kamari, who is a Dragoon and a Blue Mage. <laughs> he sucks at both. And just, just the poorest character to have on the party. Yeah, poor guy. Just... 
it's rough. Stuck on a part of the sphere grid where, like, he just branches off into another character's, like, low-level <laughs> pass, so he just never gets yep. enough stats. Yeah. Yeah, poor guy. Yeah. On the upside, then you have Final Fantasy XI, which is kind of broken from top to bottom, so they're just like, yeah, screw it. Blue <laughs> Mage can just do everything, whatever. Yeah, man, you just have fun. Have fun with this. And you do. Blue Mage in that game ruled. <laughs> And I, I do love me a good blue mage. I just seriously do. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, once again, a lot of times when a blue mage is in a game, if you know what you're doing, you can yeah. do real bad can, things to yeah, it. Yeah, you can just break that game open. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, just want to play Final Fantasy V now. <laughs> but we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about the plot of Final Fantasy VI. So for this, I am also going to do something else that's a little bit different than I normally mm-hmm. would. And... That's because music is very important in this game. Mm, mm-hmm. It's important just in general for setting tone in video games, and Final Fantasy is no exception. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I would argue that Final Fantasy VI's music does a ton of heavy lifting for this game. Like, right. even more so than later entries. Like, not to say that there aren't some, like, music tracks in those games that don't, like, absolutely fit whatever scene they're doing. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, Eris theme after she dies is... I like that's an iconic scene that's made by right. that music. But it's just it's so constant through this game that mm. I want to try something different with this that you're not going to be the beneficiary of this Alex because I can't okay. do this at the same time. Yeah, that's fine. But I'm going to insert appropriate music into each section as we get to them for the listener's pleasure. Okay. That this makes sense. Could be terrible and I could hate myself halfway through editing this. Mm. But I'm going to give it a shot anyways cuz it seems like it'll be fun. So, uh I hope you all enjoy it question mark we'll see we'll see but let's get into the plot now of final fantasy 6 for realsies so final fantasy 6 starts off with the camera just panning down off of storm clouds as an organ plays some incredibly harsh music once that re- when it reaches its crescendo just has the words final fantasy 6 show up and the logo mm-hmm. is on fire <laughs> it is solid good start Mm-hmm. The camera then further pans down to a snowy mountaintop and a town in the shadow of said mountain as this text appears. Long ago, the War of the Magi reduced the world to a scorched wasteland, and magic simply ceased to exist. One thousand years have passed. Iron, gunpowder, and steam engines have been rediscovered, and high technology reigns. There are some who would enslave the world by providing the dread destructive force known as magic. Can it be that those in power are on the verge of repeating a senseless and deadly mistake? So right away. Oh, go ahead. I love this intro. It is so good. I love I love opening a, fa- a Final Fantasy game by saying magic is the worst thing that's ever happened and can destroy the world. Mm-hmm. And it's going to happen again. We are foreshadowing it heavily. This is going to happen again, and it's going to be bad. Yeah, and like... Like, once again, like, I'll be playing the music, the War of the Magi music right now, but, like, Mm -hmm. it's just, like, this very, like, droning, very ominous-sounding music. It's Mm -hmm. very much unlike the openings of, like, any other Final Fantasy game. Like, Final Fantasy VII starts out with, like, music that's almost, like, triumphant in a way. Right. Um, Whereas this is just, like, no, things are bad and things are about to get worse. Mm Mm-hmm. So, right away, ton of vibes. As we settle on a mountain cliff overlooking the town of Narsh a coal-mining town far to the north as three people enter the scene, piloting giant clawed bird-like mechs called Magitech Armor. 
magic kick armor is so cool. It's so cool. It is so cool that it will just show up again frequently. Yeah, they basically go like, all right, yeah, there's pretty much never going to be a Final Fantasy game past this point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a few, but... There's a few, but... They're going to constantly show up, and they're constantly going to be called Magitek, and they're just like, yep, no, here they are. They look like birds. Mm -hmm. So Magitek armor is basically magic-infused armor that can shoot, like, pure beams of energy that are, like, fire, ice, and thunder-based or whatever. They're super cool. Now, it turns out the town of Narsh has dug up something called an Esper a magic being that was often seen during the War of the Magi. This raid, sanctioned by the Empire, and we'll get into their deal in a bit, is being led by our main character, Tara Branford, a young woman with the rare ability to use magic, alongside two Imperial soldiers, Biggs and Wedge. While Tara is leading this raid, it turns out she's under mind control via a tiara called a Slave Collar that makes her dedicated to the Empire, and more or less basically mute. Mm-hmm. Now, now, this is uh, particularly bad for the residents of Narsh, as Terra uses her Magitek armor to basically murder her way to the Esper. Upon entering the mines, they find this Esper, named... Oh, this is name's gonna be bad, Alex. <laughs> Belgamarnda. <laughs> it is a, a combination of uh, three... Uh, the names of three legendary birds and snakes that each represent different elements of thunder, ice, and fire. Uh, and they just... Crammed them all together in a way that makes it impossible to now to pronounce. It's great. So the problem here is that this game is written by people who speak Japanese. Mm-hmm. And in Japanese, you can make portmanteaus by just combining the syllables of things. Because yep. like the syllables of, Jap- of the Japanese language are quite basic and designed to flow from one to another, no matter basically no matter what combination you're using. Yeah. And you can just do that. And if it sounds like gibberish... It's, like, fine. Mm -hmm. And that's further compounded by the fact that this game isn't voice acted. So even in the English version, they can just write a word and not have to actually make it pronounceable. Yeah. Yeah, they can just do whatever they want. And then at least to people like me being like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with this word. It basically led to every American player of the game being like, I don't don't know what that is. To be fair, it led to Ted Woolsey looking at this and being like, I'm just going to call it Tritalk. Uh, okay, fair. It, it uses three different elemental magics, so there we go. <laughs> Which is like, good on you, buddy. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. So, this is an avian-like creature that's encased in ice, and before they can do anything, this creature just somehow makes Biggs and Wedge just disappear. They're mm. just dead now. And it seemingly psychically connects with Terra blowing up her mech in the process and knocking her out. So that... Sorry, I was just going to say, from a gameplay standpoint, I also really like this opening sequence, Mm -hmm. because it's a really good establishment of, like, hierarchy of power. Yeah. Because you, like, play out fighting your way through the town with your Magitek armor, Mm -hmm. and you're just kind of, like, slaughtering people. Oh, yes. And it's like, yeah, Magitek's, like, a big deal, and it's strong. And then this thing shows up, and it's just like, nah. Yeah, no, you, y'all done for. Yeah, it is a really good, like, setting up of, like, okay, yeah, no, technology does reign until it comes up against magic, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, magic wins. Yeah, it's really, really good. Another example of the battle system being used to help tell the story, like, or yep. accentuate it, in it, at least. So, Terra wakes up from this in the home of a man named Arvis, who tells her, hey, I found you. I also found this broken slave collar next to you in the mines. Kind of crazy, right? Tara then gets out of bed, and she immediately claps to the ground. 
because uh, it turns out the slave collar has not only made her weak, but has also given her amnesia. Arvis then asks her name, and she gives it. Terra. So one cool thing about this game is that every time you're introduced to a new party member, the screen goes black, it plays their theme, and the characters move to the center of the screen as you get just like a blurb about what their deal is. Mm. Uh, I won't point it out every time this happens because this podcast episode is going to be long enough as is. Uh-huh. But I really like it. It's very much like a stage play sort of like yeah. introduction of each character, which I really, really like. Mm-hmm. So Tara's, Tara is a um, green-haired woman who basically like wears kind of like a leotard sort of uh, with like very high boots, uh, whose deal for most of the games is that she does not know who she is where she came from, or how she even fits in. Like, she is basically just a very naive person who is constantly lost, and I believe Kanakla, her age is like 18 in this game. Mm. Now, this is all exacerbated by the fact that everyone is scared of her, because she's pretty much the only one in the world who not only knows how to use magic, but is very quickly known to be a collaborator with the Gesalian Empire, the empire that is currently in the process of trying to take over the world. Now, this fear becomes very acute when a bunch of Narsh soldiers come to arrest her, and she has to escape through the back door into the mines, only to fall to a sinkhole and hit the ground and pass out. <laughs> Goes very poorly for her. She has a real rough time of it with the opening of this game. She does. Yeah, everyone wants to kill her. She con- constantly is getting knocked out. Yep. It's just going bad left it's and like right. It's like mind control, unconscious, amnesia, unconscious. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, spoiler, that's not going to stop for Terra anytime <laughs> soon. So, while passed out, Terra dreams of a strange de- jester-like man putting the slave collar on her and directing her to set a bunch of his own soldiers on fire to test her out, while he gleefully yells about how he should bur- she should burn everything. She then dreams of Emperor Gessal, a guy who I've been... He's been described as being basically like a human-sized Pomeranian, more or less. <laughs> he- he's a human... But he just has, like, the bushiest mustache and the bushiest hair. He is amazing looking. But he's on top of his metal castle in his metal city as he tells his assembled army that the power of magic has returned. They are the chosen ones, and the time has come to take over the world. It is the most Nazi thing you could possibly have because (laughs) Final Fantasy VI is not subtle at all. Nope. Like, literally their soldiers wear Stahlhelms. It's... (laughs) <laughs> they're doing sick heels in this, in this scene it's like 100% like okay we get it they're Nazis <laughs> <laughs> look if there's one thing that's very clear about this game mm-hmm. it is that the creators like Star Wars yes <laughs> and they are going to rip off Star Wars and the things that Star Wars ripped off i.e. Nazis yep yep yeah that is a thing to remember that Hironobu Sakaguchi really likes Star Wars. There's a reason why two of the games involve you fighting evil empires as plucky mm-hmm. rebels. Like, uh, it, it reminds me of an uh, image macro that somebody made that was basically just describing each Final Fantasy game as, like, what type of Star Wars it was. <laughs> Final Fantasy fans constantly get very angry at that at that macro, I've noticed. But it's it's true enough, in my opinion. It, it's true enough. They should just own it. It's Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. There is more nuance, but it's fine. So... Back at Arvis's home, another man walks in as Arvis asks him, What took you so long? Are you done robbing everyone blind? As this young, trail-worn traveler is immediately insulted. This is Locke Cole, and he helpfully corrects Arvis that he's a treasure hunter, which Arvis tells him that's the same thing, 
whatever. <laughs> you need to go and find this this woman with amnesia who is just in the mines and whatnot, because she's going to be important for our cause. You need to get her out of, out of Narsh because they're going to murder her. And so Locke is like, no problem. So he goes into the mines and finds Terra surrounded by a bunch of soldiers, but with the help of a bunch of very dangerous moogles, <laughs> little, little tiny bear creatures who literally like an army of them comes out and you like fight with like 11 of them and they're all uh-huh. more capable than Locke. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, she ba- he basically helps them helps uh, get Terra to safety. As they escape, Terra wakes up and thanks Locke for saving her. And Locke tells her that, don't worry, he would never abandon anyone who's lost their memory, and he won't leave her aside until she gets it back. While Terra is like, I, I don't think I asked for that. <laughs> Locke's big thing is that he is constantly looking for a damsel in distress and will basically pledge his entire life to protect them no matter the cost. Mm-hmm. It is, um, the, the man is a simp. <laughs> yep. And that, once again, that is not going to change. <laughs> so Locke is going to take her to the country of Figaro that is located in the south through a desert uh, in order to help get her to the resistance group known as Returners. So they travel to Figaro Castle, which, despite being a neutral country, their king, the young ladies' man, or at least he thinks he's a ladies' man, Edgar Roney Figaro, is sympathetic to Terra and Locke because he is also part of the resistance group called the Returners. So, Edgar, when they meet up with Edgar, he is a suave man who is slowly modernizing his kingdom. It's a job that neither he nor his brother Saban wanted, but on the day that their father died, they flipped a coin and whoops, Edgar won! So his brother got to follow his dreams and he had to be the king. Now, Edgar's basically big thing is that he wants to play up the fact that, boy, he just really likes the ladies, when secretly he's actually just more dedicated to his mission. Uh, Mm. It's basically just kind of a way to make people think that he's more or less a buffoon. Mm -hmm. Now, he obviously agrees to help out Terra, and while Terra is sleeping, uh, he concocts a plan with Locke to get her to return her headquarters, something that ends up being interrupted when a weird jester and two Imperial soldiers walk up to the door of the castle. This is Kefka, a high-ranking member of the Empire, and it turns out the guy who put the sleeve collar on Terra. Mm-hmm. So, Kefka is a person who's been infused with the power of Magicite, essentially magic itself, and is able to use magic himself. Mm-hmm. Problem is, that has kind of made him a little crazy? and a little unhinged to the point that he has zero empathy for anybody. Uh, whether it's his own soldiers, whether it's Terra, anybody. Now, Kefka's really upset to be on this mission. He totally thinks it's beneath him. But he's like, whatever, I'm gonna do it. Emperor ordered me to do this. And when he meets with Edgar, he's like, hey, give me Terra back. Edgar goes, I don't have Terra. Which Kefka goes, cool man, I'm going to set your castle on fire, <laughs> which he does delightfully. Mm-hmm. It's, also- it's a really good establishment for Kefka of just like, hey, give me the thing. No, burn them all. Yep. Yeah. Kefka is a very zero to 60 sort of guy. Another thing that is 100% not going to change about this character. Kefka mm-hmm. is a very consistent character in that he will <laughs> always take the worst for his enemies possible approach. <laughs> Also, it's very impressive that he turned this basically stone and metal castle, like, just, like, set it all on fire while basically uh-huh. Edgar was, like, turned around. It's, like, literally, like, Edgar just, like, walks in, walks back out, is, like, castle's on fire. He's just like, <laughs> how? 
How? How? It's made of stone and metal. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand how you did this. <laughs> Magic is nuts. Anyways, mm-hmm. Edgar's like, well, I guess I better take Locke and Terra to Returners myself and just leave my castle to his fate. So they jump off the castle onto some chocobos and ride off. Kefka basically taunts him for leaving his ke- like kingdom behind, which Edgar's like, oh yeah? What if <laughs> my castle was actually a giant machine capable of tunneling underground and across continents? <laughs> Kefka's like, that'd be pretty wild. Oh no, the castle's doing exactly that! <laughs> so Kefka is like pissed now, and he sends the magic tech armor after the gang, which Terra just destroys with a fire. Like, she basically destroys mm-hmm. it with fire magic, and Kefka's like, vows revenge because of that. So, using this magic completely freaks out Locke and Edgar, because this is like the first time anybody's seen magic in about a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And Terra gets very self-conscious about this, but Edgar's like, hey, listen. This is a lot to put on you, but we really think you could help out our cause, the Returners. Just come with us, hear us out. We are not going to force you to do anything, but it would really mean a lot to us. So Terra's like, okay, fine. So they go to the Returner base, which is past this mountain range. And so they go to this mountain range, and while they're going through there, they are immediately assaulted by a martial artist and his two bears. (laughs) (laughs) This martial artist, whose name is Vargas, immediately beats the hell out of the party when a blonde buff man shows up. This man is Sabin, Edgar's brother, <laughs> whose dream, it turns out, was to become a buff karate man. <laughs> so, as a buff karate man, he trained with Vargas under uh, Vargas's father, who was Ed- uh, Sabin's master. And Vargas, jealous that Sabin was going to be basically the person who's going to take over for... Uh, uh, this man, after after he died, was like, screw it. I'm going to kill my father and prove that I'm going to be the best martial artist. Something that goes very poorly because it turns out Sabin knows all the cool moves and is mm-hmm. able to just kill Vargas with one of like uh, uh, one of uh, like his like martial arts moves known as a blitz. Another good example of a using the battle mechanics to show mm-hmm. off uh, advanced historian log because you actually have to do the inputs to do this move and right. show that Saban's actually capable of doing martial arts. Real good. Mm-hmm. So they make so Saban immediately joins up because he's totally down to just hang out with his brother and beat up, you know, Imperial soldiers. And so they make their way to the Returner base, which is hidden inside a mountain complex where they meet Bannon, the leader of the Returners. Now, he's immediately interested in Terra, not only because she can apparently communicate with the Espers, but also in her ability to kill Imperial soldiers like no one's business. <laughs> we know this because he says this right in front of Terra, who's like, ah, whoa, hold on. <laughs> and like, Edgar's like, hey, maybe you should kind of cool it with this, but Bannon's like, hey, nah, she shouldn't run from the truth, that she is a crazy killing machine who wants to kill 50 Imperial soldiers in a row. And like, she's going to be our last ray of hope, and, like, she's the only one who could do this. And everyone's like, Bannon, you're kind of laying it on thick for her. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, whatever, man, Tara, will you be our last ray of hope? And via she, the murder. Yeah, via the murder. <laughs> now, there's a couple ways this can actually be handled. But regardless, we find out that the Empire has been gathering scholars to study the Espers. And they've been using them to create magic power technology, much like the machines used in the War of the Magi. Which, of course, freaks everyone out because they're like, oh no, maybe they're just going to revive that war again. Mm-hmm. And Ben is like, listen, Tara, all we want you to do is go take us to the Esper Narsh, communicate with the Esper to get them to help us. Now, it's not entirely clear how exactly this is all going to work out, 
But it doesn't matter because the party learns that the Empire is now taking the town of South Figaro and is immediately moving on to return her base, so they need to, like, just scramble and get the hell out. So they decide, okay, Locke, you need to go to South Figaro just to slow down the Empire, while everyone else literally gets on this raft and goes down the river so they can get to Narsh and speak with the Esper. Now, before they all part, Locke basically tells Terra rather breathlessly to wait for him. He won't be long. Also, watch out for Edgar. That man is a pervert. <laughs> Which Edgar's like, bro. <laughs> so, they all part. The gang makes their way down the river on a raft when they come upon a weird purple octopus with fangs. Oh, this is okay. Ul- <laughs> this is Ultros. He exists to hate the party for no reason. <laughs> Literally no reason. Uh, so, Ultros... I probably could have cut Ultros out. I'm not going to lie, but I decided yeah, not so to. Yeah, so could the developers. The developers made the same decision. They did. They went, this octopus is fun. <laughs> and to be fair, he's a recurring character in the Final Fantasy franchise now. Mm-hmm. Uh, existing in multiple games, much like Gilgamesh from the previous game. This like comic mm-hmm. relief boss character that just shows up that everyone loves. Now, his big thing is just be like a cowardly octopus who loves to taunt people with sea life related puns and other jokes. <laughs> such as when Terra sets him on fire, he yells seafood soup is not on the menu and whatnot. Uh, he also just sort of hates Saban an awful lot for reasons that are just completely unexplained. Now, <laughs> is he jealous of him having like fists? Maybe. It, it possibly could be that, but one reason or another, he just really hates Saban. Now, to be fair, at the end of the fight, Saban dives in after him to just, like, punch him underwater, I guess? Something Uh, that only results in him being washed down a different part of the river. Much to the complete indifference of his brother, who's like, he'll be fine. (laughs) I'm getting a real, like, Thor and Jormungandr vibe from this. It kind of is, actually, yeah. It is, like, 100% this, just like, man, whatever, man. (laughs) He's just going to go and just fight people and maybe he'll drown, but he probably won't. He'll be stronger for it. It'll be great. Yep. So it's at this point uh, you get to choose like to play from three different scenarios. Mm. Now, like the river party going to Narsh, uh, Sabin and whatever his deal is going to be and Locke trying to slow down the Empire. Uh, we're going to make this easy. We're just going to just get to what um, what the river group is going to do, which is mm-hmm. uh, they get to Narsh, they have to sneak into town, and then they meet up with Alvis and wait for everyone else to show up. Hmm. So, there's that. Locke, on the other hand, has something a little bit more involved. So, he rides to South Figaro, and after ha- having to do a bunch of sneaking around and dressing up as different people, such as merchants and Imperial soldiers, like, he literally steals the clothes off of them. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> he learns that Kefka is on his way with a bunch of soldiers to invade Narsh. So, he's like, I need to get up there and warn everybody. He starts to sneak out of town via the basement of the largest mansion in South Figaro when he hears a commotion coming from one of the rooms in the basement and sees a bunch of soldiers just beating a woman. This woman is Celis, a Magitech knight and general of the Empire and apparently traitor. So it turns out she found out Kefkas has like some terrible plans for the populace of another nation that's being invaded by the Empire and she was so disgusted she decided to stop serving them. Locke breaks her out because he literally cannot stay away from any woman vaguely in distress. <laughs> and she tells Locke, like, who she is, and Locke's like, cool, man. Anyways, I'm part of the Returners. You should come with me. Uh, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, Sells is like, should you be telling me this? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to verify? I really like that when, like, 
you encounter that kind of character mm-hmm. and they're like, do, do you want to verify what I'm telling you like at all? Yeah, do you want to, you, you realize I'm a general in the Empire and you just told me you're a rebel. I, okay, buddy, I, you're literally my only option at this point, so I'm going to take you up on this, but I'm not sure about you right now. So, Cells goes with them, and Cells, her big deal is that she is a, um, Cells is basically Terra's foil in many ways. Mm. She is kind of the co-main character, as we're going to find out, uh, and to the point she's, I dressed up actually very similarly to Terra, like, mm-hmm. leotard with, like, high boots, and, like, like, her difference is she has, like, blonde hair, and instead of being able to use fire magic, she's actually infused with the power of magicite, so she can use ice magic instead. Mm. Um, she has a very similar vibe to Terra, except instead of, like, not really have fun knowing her place in the world, she is instead very conflicted about what her role currently is, which is being a part mm-hmm. of the Empire and a part of their evil machinations. So... Very, very similar characters in that regard. Mm-hmm. Now, they escape and get to Narsh. That's kind of their thing. So, Sabin, his is easily the most involved, and also probably the most fun, honestly. Uh-huh. Uh, Sabin washes up near a small hut, and with nothing better to do, walks to it, where he meets a ninja and his cool Doberman. <laughs> <laughs> this ninja, who you do technically meet earlier, is named Shadow. Shadow is a mercenary, assassin, and generally works for the highest bidder. Uh, if you meet him earlier in South Figaro, which you can uh, when you're with uh, Edgar and the rest of them, Edgar mm-hmm. says basically that you need to stay away from him. He'd slit his mama for a nickel. <laughs> now, he's a man of few words whose only friend is his dog, Interceptor. His past is unknown. In general, he doesn't like to get close to people. To the point that, as a gameplay mechanic, he'll just randomly leave your party and wander off. <laughs> <laughs> like after a battle it'd just be like my work here is done and it's like buddy no it isn't he's like see ya d- d- does he get paid yeah you pay him up front okay and then he'll just leave like whenever it's great oh. <laughs> yeah he's cool and frustrating so Shadow tells Saban that they are near Doma Castle the capital of the nation of Doma that's under the attack of the empire and the only way to get to Narsh is through there so Sabin and Shadow are forced to sneak through an Imperial military camp, where we see Kefka is leading an assault on their castle. An assault that goes incredibly poorly, mostly because the soldiers <laughs> just beat on the castle walls with their fists and stuff. It's really ah. sad. <laughs> and then a samurai just sort of walks out and kills their leader, and then they all retreat. So this samurai is Cyan, a man from a foreign land far away from Doma. He is filled with honor, and is the husband to a loving Doman wife and son. After he causes the Empire to retreat, we cut back to the Imperial camp, where we meet the true commander of the Imperial forces, General Leo. General Leo is a man of honor, one who is dedicated to his country, but also refuses to sacrifice the lives of the soldiers needlessly. While okay, he... so he's gonna die. Oh, you better believe it! <laughs> <laughs> he. It's funny, because he's like, he's well aware of, like, all the evil that the Empire does, but he's also mm-hmm. like... He's a little bit more blasé about it than he should be. Mm. Mostly because he like he thinks Kefka, for instance, is a rash fool and wonders why the Emperor keeps him around and mm-hmm. basically vows to make sure he doesn't do anything evil. Mm-hmm. Which lasts all of five seconds when he gets the message that he must go and see the Emperor and he leaves Kefka in charge. And Kefka mm. literally goes, I'm going to commit war crimes while you're gone. And Leo goes, well, don't. 
<laughs> and in the second leave, Kevin goes, I'm going to commit the war crimes. <laughs> it's real great. So, Kefka's master plan is to poison the water supply of Doma, killing literally everyone in the castle except for two people, Cyan and one random soldier. Everyone else, including the king and Cyan's family, are now dead. It's like one of the few moments in this game where people very clearly die, but since mm -hmm. they don't say the word dead in the translation, they're able to get away with it. It's mm -hmm. pretty great, actually. Well, it's not great that they're dead, but it's, it's great right. how they did the translation. Mm-hmm. So Cyan is now blind with anger, and he just runs to Imperial camp and starts fighting everyone, while Saban and Shadow jump in and help him. And it's funny, like, they'll help him fight off some people, he'll run and just start getting into another fight, and Saban's mm -hmm. like, buddy, this is not working out. And Cyan's like, yeah, clearly, uh, how about I just join up with you? <laughs> he's like, yeah, sounds good. So they all basically escape and run into a spooky for forest, intent on getting to Narsh. Now, in said forest, however, they find a spooky train, which when they all get on, the train starts to take off, and Sion goes, oh no, this is the Phantom Train, a train that takes the souls of the dead to the afterlife. So they have to escape, and they escape the only way Saban knows how, by beating the train itself up until it agrees to let him get off. <laughs> it's really, really great. Uh, the somewhat infamous or i guess yeah like meme of like Saban suplexing a train comes from this it's really it's really great excellent. so the, the fight itself is also great because there's just everyone's they're like on the left side of the screen constantly running away from the train mm -hmm. as it chases after him it's real good it's very good it it is interesting how much of like a somewhat random adventure but also like serious adventure this one is mm-hmm it's like, oh no, Kefka's here and he's murdering an entire castle full of people. Anyway, here's a ghost train. Yeah, like here's here's this weird ghost train that's like spooky and full of ghosts. You're gonna beat up a train, and then like literally right after this, like you get let off the station, and then Cyan sees his wife and child get onto the train and mm. depart for the afterlife. Like he tries to chase after it, but can't catch it, and then just stands on the on the edge of the platform as his son yells out that he'll take care of his mom. Don't worry. Mm. And, like, it's really good, because, like, if Shadow's still with you, like, you control Sabin, and, like, if you go to try to talk with, like, Cyan, he's like, hey, listen, uh, you gotta give him space. And, like, mm -hmm. you just have to walk around until the screen fades to black. Like, it's a... Wow. It's effective. Mm hmm So, that's all incredibly sad, but Sabin still needs to get to Narsh. And Cyan's like, hey, listen, I'm kind of ride and die with you. I want revenge on the Empire, so I'm gonna go with you, too. Mm hmm And Sabin's like, okay... I, we need to get there the most direct route I know how. We need to jump off this waterfall. <laughs> Shadow dips out. He's like, nah, I'm good. Later. Mm. And Cyan goes along with Sam, Saban for some reason. They nearly drown, and they're <laughs> rescued by a mysterious blonde boy covered in animal hides and the rags of human clothes who can barely speak English. And his name is Gaul. Gaul is a boy without a family, abandoned in the veldt, which is kind of like the basically the uh, savannah, more or less, of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, he's basically able to successfully fend for himself by communicating and wor learning the way of animals, which is how he actually fights in battle. He, mm. he has to channel other animals and basically does random attacks based upon them, which okay. actually makes him very overpowered if you know what you're doing. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. Again, Blue Mage character. Yep, basically. Yeah, he's... he's it's funny, he's the blue mage, except there's a real blue mage in this game, who's also very powerful. <laughs> it's I mean, it, basically any 
any mechanic where you can channel monster abilities one for one mm-hmm. is like gonna be broken because the monsters are supposed to be stronger than you. They are. Oh god, that reminds me. There's actually three characters in this game who can do that. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even met the other two characters who can, but yeah, they really went heavy into what if you could just use monster abilities, which is like, yeah, what if you could? Yeah, I mean, the, honestly, as much as we say, oh, that's broken, oh, that's overpowered, it's never not fun. Yeah, yeah, no, breaking Final Fantasy mechanics is great because they're always incredibly dense and never well communicated to the player. Yeah. And, like, you can just avoid them if you just want to beat mm-hmm. the game. Or you can yeah. just, you can mess around with them. If you want to learn how to, like, play a chemist in Final Fantasy V, you could do some real dumb things. <laughs> and it feels good to do those things. It could, feels good to figure it out. It absolutely does. And just does. be like, oh, I can just do this forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to take a little aside real quick just to kind of talk mm-hmm. about each character. So, like, most Final Fantasy games, once again, characters are heavily customizable. Here's a little less so. Mm-hmm. Uh, most characters do have a secondary ability that kind of informs their character, uh, whether it's like that, like whether it's Gaul being able to like use uh, monster abilities or mm-hmm. Sabin in his martial arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edgar, since he really loves technology, he's able to use stuff like crossbows and whatnot, or literally mm-hmm. uh, poison gas and stuff like that. Uh, even characters who have very basic abilities, like Terra is able to use magic. Like, that still mm-hmm. is used to inform that, oh, yeah, she's a magic user. This is a right. big deal. Yeah, it's a rare thing. Yeah, and every character basically has a sub-ability that is factors into their character in a way that, you know, informs them about them. And that's going to mm-hmm. be something that's going to continue all throughout this. So, uh, basically, Gaul has been abandoned by his family, but after he's given a piece of meat by Sabin, he decides, like, hey, I'm just going to hang out with y'all. You seem cool. <laughs> and Sabin's like, hey, Gaul, how can we get to Narsh? And he's like, I don't know how, but there's some rapids that we could take. <laughs> and Sabin's like, I just like trying to drown, so why not? <laughs> so they jump in. They nearly drown again. They wash up a nearby <laughs> town, and everybody just decides to take a ship to Narsh instead. Yeah, that probably makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, if you don't get Saban's character by this point. Saban's an idiot, but mm. a very lovable idiot. And an effective idiot. He actually is a very effective idiot, yes. It's it's not so much that, like, he doesn't understand the danger. Mm-hmm. It's just something like this hasn't killed me yet, so let's roll that die. Yeah, yeah, if, if it kills me the next time, I guess I just wasn't strong enough, but at the moment, yep. so far, science has borne out that I can't drown. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to go in there. I'm just going to just start breathing in the water. We'll just see what happens. <laughs> a real man who could walk through uh, walk through mud and come out clean sort of person. Mm-hmm. So everyone meets up in Narsh. People are introduced to each other just as Locke and Celis comes in to tell everyone that Kef goes on his way with an army to get the Esper. And also Celis is an Imperial General, but it's cool. She's on our side now. <laughs> and Saya's like, Imperial General, he said. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to kill her. But not before Locke gets in between them, saying, hey, no, 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 I'm sworn to protect Celis at all costs. Which Celis is like, I didn't ask for that, actually. <laughs> I'm capable enough myself, thank you. And Edgar just de-escalates the situation by pointing out, hey, Terra is a former Imperial soldier. Not everyone from the country, that country is evil. You just gotta chill, we're all on the same side. Okay, I appreciate him, like, de-escalating the situation, but <laughs> also I feel like mind control slave caller is a little bit different than genuinely signed up. 
Yeah, I would agree too. And to be fair, he doesn't even point out the like the slave collar part. He's just like, Terra was a former Imperial soldier, which you would just expect Cyan to turn around and be like, well, I have another sword for her. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it somehow works. Okay. Because, or maybe it works more because like they don't have time to argue anymore because a bunch of Imperial soldiers and an evil clown show up to mess up their party anyways. That'll do it. So after Kefka tells his troops to read my whips, Read my lips. Mercy is for wimps. They immediately get hyped up to attack Narsh, and a big old battle happens in the snowy mountains, and Kef gets gets beat up, and he runs off. Now, because of that, they're now able to just go up and enact their plan to talk to the Esper, which has been moved to a mountainside cliff for some reason. Probably Don't too. worry about it. It's better for the scenery. Yeah, they go like, well, it's just so as to be more protected up here, and I'm like, they, they have an air force. I don't think so, actually, but uh, whatever. Now, she desperately asks the Esper who she is exactly, which the Esper then goes, How about I exchange energy with you, turning you into an all-pink woman with long, wild hair, who immediately screams and just flies off. <laughs> just screaming okay. the entire time. I, I guess that answers the question? Yeah. The answer of, oh, I guess Terra's an Esper. Oh. Oh. Mm. Huh. So Locke is like, oh, I need to find her and protect her. I, I swore to protect her. Buddy, you gotta you gotta pick one to protect. You're gonna run into conflicts of interest here. Yeah, pick one conflicted magic user. You, you can't have both, man. Anyways, everyone just sort of ignores that and goes, well, she seems like she flew off to the Western continent. Maybe if we go and investigate that, we will be able to find her? We, we could travel via Figaro Castle. It's able to burrow underneath oceans somehow. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So they go there, and along the way, we learn a few new things about the party. Uh, for Edgar and Sabin, when they stay at Figaro Castle, we find out that ten years in the past, their father, the previous king, died very suddenly, which meant one of them had to be the new king. Now, neither of them wanted it, so they decided to flip a coin. The winner would get to choose their fate, and the other had to do the opposite. So Sabin won the coin toss, and he chose his freedom, which meant that Edgar had to be king. And they kind of reconcile this fact with each other. They're like totally cool with their decisions. They're like, man, we're mm. going to be brothers for life. This is great. It's a nice little scene. Mm -hmm. The less nice scene is when we get to a town on the Western continent and we learn about Locke's sad backstory. Uh. <laughs> but it turns out he was an adventurer who liked to take his girlfriend on adventuring quest until one day she fell down a mountain. Uh-huh. Yeah. Locke has to thing for ladies who fall down mountains, apparently. Yeah, fair. Now, this causes her to lose her memory. Her family then blames Locke and tells him to go away and never come back. And Locke is basically convinced to leave so she can start a new life without him. However, it somehow gets more tragic because one year later, she recovers her memory right before being killed in an Imperial attack. Only it gets even more tragic because <laughs> right before she dies, a crazy man gives her magic tea that actually puts her in a coma and causes her to never age and also never wake. Uh-huh. <laughs> also, he does this with Locke's permission. So I see. Now, it's weird because we actually go down. <laughs> the party goes down and basically sees his, like, dead comatose girlfriend who's not actually dead. Uh -huh. And it's like, man, maybe if you find a magic artifact one day, Locke, you'll be able to bring her back. And everyone's like, buddy, this is weird. I think you should let go. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Especially if you're going to be, like, throwing yourself at protecting other women. Yeah. While this one's still in a coma, not aging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, Celsa comes along. She's like, this is kind of weird, man. This is weird. <laughs> Are you just trying to replace me with her? What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, that mm, that doesn't seem like well-adapted behavior. It really doesn't. Yeah. Locke and Locke and Edgar are both very weird people in this game, as we'll get mm. to know. So after talking to a bunch of people, they learn a crazy pink woman flew to the vagrant town of Zozo, a town that's basically full of skyscrapers and basically just everyone committing all the crimes all the time. And also uh-huh. more karate people. I think it's supposed to be kind of like Kowloon a little bit is mm-hmm. what I get from it. So they go up one of the skyscrapers and find a basically feral Terra confined to a bed. When a weird old wizard shows up, this wizard is named Ramu, and he's like, hi, how's it going? He's like, what are you doing here, old man? He's like, I'm not an old man. I'm an esper, a being from an entirely different world. And he's like, ah, yeah. And everyone's like, oh, that's strange. It's like, are you supposed to like look more like a beast? He's like, we espers could take many different forms, so it's fine. Anyways. Let me tell you about how we're kind of incompatible creatures, you know, humans and espers. So I had to keep in hiding. But a long time ago, that wasn't the case. We used to like live in harmony. But then the War of the Magi was fought between humans and fused with our essence against, you know, other humans and espers. And once that war was over, we were like, boy, you people suck. We're going to go to another <laughs> dimension. Anyways, things went well till 20 years ago when you idiots showed up. And by idiots, I mean humanity, led mm-hmm. by Emperor Gessal. And you just, like, kind of, like, randomly stumbled upon our realm somehow, kidnapped a bunch of us, and used their essences to create people like uh, Celis and Kefka and make super soldiers. Really sucks. Anyways, I, I can't help Terra, but if you go to the Empire's Magitech Research Facility, you, you might be able to find some espers who there who can help Terra. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm going to now kill myself alongside my friends, so turn myself into my pure essence, or magicite, which are little crystals, Mm-hmm. And you could use us to learn magic if you want. And everyone's okay. like, wow, this is a lot. <laughs> All right, co- cool, thank you. So yeah, at this point now, basically everyone can equip like espers and like learn magic just like Terra mm. uh, or Encelus, which um, mm-hmm. is a... Uh, it's kind of it's it's interesting because like Terra and Celis could like learn magic naturally by leveling up and like but the mm-hmm. party members had to like use these espers or whatnot. Uh, it's also, this is the point where you could just break the game wide open because you also get stat boost mm-hmm. from these as well. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. And the game is not made to account for these stat boosts, it turns out. So, an, an, a really, like, fascinating thing to me is that Final Fantasies, I'm going to say, through six, arguably up to, I don't know if there's a point where this actually stops. Mm. The designers, like, love coming up with mechanics. Yeah. But don't really, like, think them through. Oh, no. Or playtest them or design around them. They're just sort of like, yeah, what if you could do this? Mm-hmm. That sounds fun to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. They just they just throw things in there and just go, I don't know, people will figure them out. Yeah. Yeah, and then this results in, like, weird things, like being able to turn the last boss in Final Fantasy II into a toad. If you really know what you're doing. Or really just yep. making the Toad spell in Final Fantasy II be actually the most powerful spell in the game. Because mm. only a few enemies are actually immune to it. Right. Or everything about the job system in Final Fantasy V. Um, yeah, or Final Fantasy H Junction system. I, I could go on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they... Um, I mean, a lot of it is due to the fact that these games just have so much into them. But they're also mm-hmm. made over the course of usually about a year. 
Yeah, they really don't have time to, like, work through the entire set of systems playing off of each other. Yeah, they don't have time to get rid of major game-breaking glitches, such as if you accidentally use this ability called Sketch at the wrong time, you'll literally right. just corrupt the memory. Right. You, you, you'll make it unusable. <laughs> you, you'll kill a save file. It's... Right. But the really fun part about it is that they don't let them... St- they don't let that stop them from, like, creating the system. Oh, no. They don't say, well, we don't have time to, like, really think through and test this, so we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. They say, well, so we'll do it, and then whatever happens, happens. Yeah, we'll just, maybe we'll put out a cartridge revision or something. I don't know, but. Maybe. Probably not. Probably not. It, it'll be fine, probably. Spoilers, it's almost never fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it- And they also don't really say, like, okay, well, in the last game, this is how it worked out, so we'll iterate on it for this game. Like, every one of the, what, 20 RPGs they put out in a four-year time span had, like, completely different ideas and mechanics. Yeah. That were starting from scratch every time, and were like, what if this happens? Yeah, like, the closest they got to, like, iteration you could argue is like when they went to six and seven, because like materia is very mm-hmm. similar to how like the espers worked. Yeah. Except replace like just magic with every ability in the game. Right. And then they went, well, what if you could link materials together? And then yeah. there you go. Game broken. Yeah. What if you, what if you just du- W summon at, like the most powerful summon in the game and then just mimic that twice? Yeah. Or, you know, do W summon and then have that summon also be attached to uh, MP recharge. Yeah. So every time it hits, your MP is recharged. Yeah. Like So you just fire that six times. And yeah, game over. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess uh, I guess the, bi- the final boss isn't real. Yeah, no, guess not. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, no, it's... Once again, this is the reason why I love Final Fantasy games is because they are so breakable. They are mm-hmm. they are so absurdly breakable, and it just never stopped. It's never stopped. Like maybe it finally stopped in Final Fantasy sixteen. I don't know. I'm sure. I I'm sure if I were to like do a cursory Google search, I would find out that it isn't. It's the combat designer from Devil May Cry, so I'm sure there's some frame canceling nonsense in there somewhere. You're probably right about that. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, but yeah, it's great. So yeah, everyone can now new- use magic. But they need to get to the southern continent, that, which is where the Empire resides on. But the problem is, no ships go there because of the whole war business. The solution, though, is that they're going to steal the only airship in the world from a known kidnapper. So, okay. It turns out a known gambler with an airship is planning on kidnapping the opera star Maria in order to make her his wife. Every ma- guy in this game is weird, except for Saban. Yeah. And I guess I am. He, he, he's, Saban's still weird. He's just not weird about women. Yeah, good point. Well made. <laughs> this game is weird about women in general. Let's be honest. Yeah, but, that's fair. But yes, accurate. Now, he's, so he's planning to do this. And so the gang is like, all right, well, Celis looks just like Maria. What if we have her take this <laughs> opera singer's place, get kidnapped, beat him up, and then just take his airship? And turns out Celis is a national singing, and so that's great. So they go to the opera house, uh, they convince the impresario to do this, and like, like basically there's like a moment between, between Locke and Celis here, where it's like, Celis is like, hey, why'd you stand up for me back at Narsh, by the way? And Locke says, like, hey, I'm just tired of standing by doing nothing while I lose the girls that I like. And Celis is like, first off, 
girls. And two, <laughs> am I just supposed to be a replacement for your dead girlfriend? And Locke's like, I'm going to change the subject. Your ribbon looks pretty. You should practice your lines. I'm going to leave the room now. <laughs> so Definitely not avoidant. Definitely not at all. Yeah. Locke, an avoidant man who cannot let go. <laughs> so Not a red flag at all. Not at all. So the opera scene now happens. And the opera scene is, I would, I'd say it was like maybe like one of the most... I think it's probably the most famous scene in Final Fantasy VI, I'd say. Mm-hmm. It is yep. a... Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's a long, interactive cutscene, or at least as well as a cutscene can happen in in a Final Fantasy VI on the Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. where you have the... Basically, they use the sound chip to make mimic, like, opera singing as Celis mm-hmm. performs an opera that is really, really well done for the technology they had at the time. I wish I could just show the entire thing, but mm-hmm. obviously, this is an audio podcast that wouldn't work. And also, it, right. it is very long. But the point is, it's very, very good. And Locke is watching this performance when he knows that Ultros is there for some reason to mess up the opera <laughs> by dropping a comically large weight on Celis. <laughs> so Locke and the rest of the party basically tackle him on stage and are forced to pretend they're part of the play and they just kick his ass. The gambler then shows up and kidnaps Celis as the impresario of the opera just pretends this was all part of the play as the play <laughs> ends. It's real good. So Celis is locked into, the ro- into a room on the airship by the gambler, who leaves the room just long enough for Celis to get the rest of the party into the room via convenient engine room hole that's, like, in the ground. Mm-hmm. And then when he shows up again, he finds a bunch of angry people ready to beat him up. <laughs> the gambler, though, is pretty nonplussed about this. It's like, eh, whatever. How's it all doing? I guess you're not Maria, actually. By the way, my name is Setzer. Setzer's a man who... He's a Tetsuya Nomura character. He has a yeah. very long overcoat with very long silver hair with scars all over his face that, like, with eyeshadow, um, a lot of little accoutrements that are all over his clothing. He's the, he is the one character that you look at and go like, ah, yes, I know who you were designed by. <laughs> <laughs> now, he is like, okay, well, if you're not Maria, we have nothing to talk about. But the party's like, hey, listen, we need your airship so we can go and fight the Empire. And he's like, huh, all right, I'm interested in this because my business, which is, I guess, gambling and kidnapping, uh, has been Uh impinged by the Empire. However, I will only help if you can win a gamble. And if I win, I have to, I get to marry Celis. If you win, you get my airship, the Blackjack. Now, Celis agrees to these terms and borrows Edgar's coin and flips it, winning the toss. Tetra's like, picks uh, it up and realizes, oh, the coin has uh, the same face on both sides. <laughs> Which if Saban's there is like, oh, huh. <laughs> what do you know? Uh, really good, really good little detail there that I really uh-huh. like. Now, Sab- now Setzer, though, is really into the fact that he's been cheated. He just loves it. <laughs> and he's like, I'm riding die for you guys now. <laughs> <laughs> so they make their way to the capital, the Steel City of Vector where they sneak into the Magitech Research Center, defeat a bunch of Magitech knights, and make their way to a room filled with glass tubes containing espers. So all of them are on the verge of death. So they're just like, we're just going to turn into Magisite so, you could, well, so we can help you out, so we can tell you're good people. Then a man wearing essentially a banana suit shows up. And I am serious. This suit looks like he's uh-huh. wearing a giant banana. And he has like a blonde mustache. This guy is Professor Sid. So Sid... 
basically is the guy who figured out how to extract magic from espers and put them into people and machines, and he's a close friend of Sellas. And he's like, oh, wow, Espers could turn to Magicite and give me even more magic power? Wow, that's crazy. Man, mm-hmm. I didn't know that could happen. He comes off as very unimpressive, honestly. Uh-huh. Uh, he also comes off as very annoying because he goes like, Ocellus, man, is it true that you're, uh, you've are you been spying on returners? And, like, Locke is there. He's like, Ocellus, you're a traitor? Ocellus is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you believe him and then kefka walks in is like yes Celis is a traitor and everyone's like Celis, how can you be a traitor well Celis is like i no uh, i'm not a tra- <laughs> why are you listening to kefka yeah why are you listening to the evil war cry cram war crime crown cloud like why are you doing this <laughs> so everyone is surprised like they're about to be surrounded and killed by a bunch of soldiers when Celis uses magic to teleport everyone but the party and sit out of the room so they can escape Mm. And so Locke takes this as like, oh. Wait, why didn't she just teleport herself and the party out of the room? Yeah, see, that's a great question. <laughs> One that would probably clear up the misconception of, oh no, Celis trans tra- got everyone, all the Imperial soldiers out and she went with them. She must be a traitor now. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really silly. Uh, so Sid, now that he's in the same room with a bunch of angry returners, uh, decides that what he's been doing is evil and pledges his life to correct his mistakes. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's like, I can't believe I was doing this to a bunch of sentient creatures like that. How could I be so blind? Anyways, let me help you escape Vector. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a real 180 degrees turn that he just did right there. It's great. So they escape Vector. They get back to Zozo. They check on Terra. And it turns out one the Magicite can't help her. Because one of them is literally her dad. Oh. Real convenient. Hmm. So, we then get Tara's backstory. So it turns out the Esper Maduin found a human woman named Madeline, who somehow ended up in their world like 20 years ago. Uh, Because the Espers were really bad about making sure their portal to their realm was closed. Mm Mm-hmm. The rest of Espers want her god because human's bad, but Maduin decides she's hot. So instead, <laughs> he marries her, and they have a kid named Terra. Unfortunately, a year after Terra is born, Emperor Gestel shows up with a bunch of Imperial troops and basically, like, gets a bunch, kidnaps a bunch of espers. They blow, the espers blow the Imperial soldiers out of the realm with magic, but unfortunately, Maduin, Madeline, and Terra are blown out with them. In the human world, Madeline is like, badly wounded, and ask the Emperor to take care of her daughter, who immediately realizes, oh, this is a human-esper hybrid. This kid mm-hmm. could have a ton of potential. Madeline freaks out at this weird guy exploiting her daughter and tries to fight him, but then is just immediately killed by the Emperor mm-hmm. as he laughs and the portal to the Esper world seals. So the party decides that, oh, this is awful. Terra is now like, hey, I am... I know who I am. I am 100% dedicated to fighting with you guys. Also, I can transform into an Esper at will and make my magic power incredibly powerful, uh, by the way. That sounds really strong. It is, it turns out. Yeah, uh, trance mode for Terra is, uh, like many things in this game, kind of OP. Mm-hmm. Now, Terra's like, okay, I exist as a way to prove that humans and Espers can work towards a common goal. So how about we go to the sealed cave containing the portal to the Esper world, I'll open it up, and then we can team up with the Espers to take down the Empire. So they make their way there, 
Terra opens the portal just as Kefka shows up to try and take advantage of this, only for a bunch of angry espers to show up, raid Vector, raise us to the ground, and fly off in a rage. <laughs> so the party goes back to Vector and finds that it's entirely on fire. They find the Emperor has also had a change of heart. With the espers burning his capital to the ground, he now wants to make peace and change his ways for good. Yeah? Yeah! He's like, oh boy, <laughs> getting set on fire sucks! <laughs> Let's maybe, let's not do that again. Yeah. I, uh, I'm sorry that everyone got poisoned. I'm going to imprison Kefka for war crimes. <laughs> so, they have a big old banquet, uh, and he wants the party, specifically Terra, to travel to the last known location of the Espers and talk with them to make peace, taking along General Leo and Celis as representatives of the Empire. Also, Shadow is back and he's coming along for some reason. Sure. Uh, so Locke is immediately suspicious of Celis, which Celis finds like pretty hurtful mm-hmm. to the point that like when um like the night before they're about to set sail, there's this nighttime scene where Celis's theme plays. It's really really good. Mm. Uh, Locke like walks out and is like, "Hey, can you just? I'm, I'm sorry that I thought you were a traitor." And Celis is like, "Not talking to him, just runs off." And it's like very sad. Uh, but then the next day, Celis tries to talk with uh, Locke, who like basically brushes her off. Like they're all. And everyone's like, ah, you two, y'all love each other. Isn't that funny? <laughs> this doesn't seem like very healthy relationship dynamics right now. They absolutely do not have a healthy relationship. And also, it's basically at this point that Locke basically goes like, I'm just not going to pay attention to Terra at all anymore. I'm just 100% in on Celis. Uh-huh. Like, Celis has replaced Terra in his mind. <laughs> so they take the boat... Um, to the town of Thamasa, and on the way there, uh, Terra talks with General Leo for a bit, and Leo basically apologizes for everything that happened. He's like, I knew what was happening, I should have stopped it, and honestly, I'm no better than Kefka was. You know, not asking you for your forgiveness, but I am going to explain that. And Mm. Terra's like, I mean, that's cool, whatever. Hey, can I ask you a question? Do you think I'll ever find out what it means to love somebody? And... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Final Fantasy and your romance plot lines. Yeah. And Leo's like, yeah, probably. And then walks off. <laughs> <laughs> so Tara's sad about this. She's like, well, I, I just have never loved anybody. I don't even know what it feels like. Shadow then lock, walks in and is like, oh, hey, sorry, I was listening in. I came to sleep under the stars. And Tara's like, can you tell? And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I, I can't. But uh, re- just remember, there's people in this world who have chosen to kill their emotions. You may not want to be one of those people. Mm. And then Terra walks off. So to get to the town of Thamasa, a town full of incredibly cagey people who don't like outsiders, especially when they talk about espers. Now, there are two people who are willing to talk to Terra, Locke and Shadow, and these are the old man Strago and his young 10-year-old granddaughter Rel, who's incredibly precocious. So Strago is a blue mage able to use monster magic, and Rel is an excellent painter, to the point that her paintings can literally come to life and attack things. Ah, the Pictomancer. Yes. Yeah, they, she also has the ability with the uh, accessory to actually control monsters as well. So she's also a Beastmaster on top of that. Oh. Yes. That's a very powerful combination. It is. Yeah, Realm's, Realm is an interesting character from a mechanic standpoint because she also mm-hmm. has the highest magic, natural magic stat in the game. Ah. Yeah. That seems interesting that she's better at magic than the half-Esper. Yeah, yeah, Terra has the second highest, if I remember correctly, but Realm is actually higher. One of the Mm. things that doesn't matter, because, well, Espers can just 
give you permanent magic boosts, but like whatever. Right. Uh, this becomes relevant because it turns out the town they're in is full of uh, people who can use magic. So she's a descendant ah. of magic users. Okay. And we find this out because Realm gets trapped in a burning building, and the only way to get her out is using ice magic, which the entire town knows because they are just straight up descendants of people <laughs> from the War of the Magi. Now, it isn't enough because their magic has just gotten weaker as time has gone on, and so the party mm-hmm. has to go in and rescue them, uh, which they barely do after Shadow basically shows up and rescues them because uh, they get knocked out by basically fire and smoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and one thing to point out here is that it turns out like Interceptor is like goes in before everyone else to get Realm out because it turns out he gets along with Realm like really, really mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So after all this, uh, Strago basically tells him, like, yeah, we can use magic. We know the espers. Our people are hunted after the war of the Magi. We're kind of all that remain. We kind of don't like to talk about it, but <laughs> you helped out my granddaughter. Nearby in the mountains, there's a place of magic. The espers are probably there. Let's go up there. So up in the mountains, they find a shrine with three golden statues dedicated to something called the Warring Triad. These are apparently the three gods who created not only magic, but the espers as well. And apparently they sit in perfect balance with each other, not allowing the other's magic to overpower them because they had a big old war between them, which is why they are the Warring Triad. And they decide, mm-hmm. that's bad, let's just be in perfect harmony. Ultros then shows up and jumps them, only for Realm to show up, paint his picture, and scare him off after it comes alive and attacks him. The Esters then show up and go, oh hey, sorry about all the killing, we kind of overreacted there. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> how about we go with you to meet with General Leo and just make peace? And they go ahead and do that. Uh, peace is made, everything is fine. Yay. Then Kefka shows up with a bunch of soldiers and murders General Leo of magic. Turns the yep. Esmeralds into Magnusite and reveals the Emperors on his way to the sealed gate. <laughs> so, the Esmeralds reopen the sealed gate to fight Kefka, but at this point, he is so powerful, he just straight like, starts defeating them one by one, knocks out the rest of the party, and since the gate is open, the Emperor is able to walk in. Wait, how did Kefka get that strong? Uh, I think the implication is that he's just been infused with so much Magnusite at this point that he's just... Uh. The, the man is swole with magic. Should... Should you be shoving that much magicite power into the war crime clown? Well, we'll see how this turns out for the Emperor in, oh, say, two paragraphs from now. Okay. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you see, everyone gets in the airship to go and deal with the Emperor, but it turns out mm-hmm. in the sealed realm, uh, they're able to activate something that just causes part of the continent to just rise up into the air and start floating. Okay. Now, this continent, now known as the Floating Continent, has Kefka and the Emperor on it, next to three giant statues that seem to be in perfect harmony with one another, like some mm. sort of warring triad, perhaps. <laughs> and they're about to use the magic of those statues to take over the world. So the party heads up to the Floating Continent, battling the Empire's Air Force along the way, and they fight their way to the Emperor and Kefka. The Emperor immediately uses his overwhelming party to just trap the party, and tells mm-hmm. Celis to prove her loyalty by killing them with her own hands. Kefka then gives her a knife, which she then just stabs Kefka with. Kefka freaks out at seeing his own blood, and in the Wolseley translation, he just says, I really hate, 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 hate you. <laughs> and then just, like, basically backhands her. Like, because, like, listen, you, you ain't gonna kill me with no knife. Uh-huh. So Kefka decides that no one... We're going to just use the power of the Warring Triad to just blow you up now. But the Emperor's like, hey, maybe we should slow our roll with that a little bit? 
and Kepka decides no one tells him to stop. So instead, he uses the statues to negate the Emperor's power, and then more or less uses the magic of the statues to smite the Emperor as he vainly tries to dodge. Like, it's like running back and forth as lightning bolts rain down from the sky until he's eventually hit by one. So the Emperor's now on the ground, and his last words are, The world's about to learn the true meaning of fear. As Kefka then laughs and just kicks his slowly dying body off the continent. Kefka then decides, You know, I had enough of this perfect harmony sort of thing. And just starts moving the statues out of alignment. Ah. Yeah, causing bolts of magic to start leaping out of the statues. Kefka, not Kefka, Celis tries to stop him, but it's no use. At this point, he's just far too powerful. But he's not too powerful for Shadow to show up and, like, pin the Kefka between two statues before telling the party to run. The continent then starts to fall apart as the party barely escapes, jumping onto the airship Blackjack. However, as they look back, they see sheer waves of magic leap out of the continent, hitting the ground below, causing parts of the continent to sink to the ocean, giant holes to open up, taking out entire towns and the people in them, and new mountains to form in their wake. No one, imperial, imperial soldier or otherwise, is spared, and the party themselves watch helplessly as the airship is ripped apart and everyone is thrown from it. The last shot we see is is from space, as we see a continent magically ripped apart as we fade to black with the words, On this day, the world was changed forever. And that's where our episode's going to end, Alex. Damn. Yes. So, this is one of the reasons why this is one of my favorite games of all time. Mm -hmm. Because of all the Final Fantasy games, this is the one where the villain wins. Right. And pretty unequivocally, as we'll find out. It's it's always like a really good trope because no matter how many times it's done, mm -hmm. it always catches you off guard. Yeah. Yeah, like the villain winning and whatnot. And it's something that there's a surprising amount of restraint in Final Fantasy too. Mm -hmm. Right? Like like I was thinking offhand of like what games in the series does the villain actually like win? And it's like Right. Well, kind of none of them. Kind of, yeah. I can't really think of the they tend to get pretty far with their plans yeah. and cause a lot of devastation along the way. But yeah, reaching that ultimate pinnacle of success, like the, not not many of them. Yeah, like there's only like one other game I can think of, and that's like Final Fantasy X. And that's depending on mm -hmm. whether you consider either Yu Yevin to be the true villain or Seymour. Right. And if it's Seymour, the answer is, well, no, he didn't. No. If it's Yu yeah. Yevin, then, oh, he absolutely did. Albeit not in the way he intended. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like... Yeah, so this ends up being a very effective cut, and, like, the second half of the game is so different in terms of tone and mm -hmm. structure. Like, this is a very linear game up until we get to the end of what's called the World of Balance. Mm -hmm. And the second half of the World of Ruin ends up being a much more open sort of game. Right. That also just focuses very heavily on each individual character, which, by the way, you don't have to do that. Like, within mm -hmm. the first hour, you could actually go and fight Kefka if you want to. <laughs> But we'll get to that when we get to that next week. Alex, how are you feeling? I feel I feel good. This is a very fun game, interesting story mm. to go through. Uh, it is definitely very much of its time. Oh, yeah. Like, it is very much a mid-90s Squaresoft story. Oh, yeah, yeah. There is an evil empire. There is magic and whether or not it's evil or not. There's, yeah, mystical beings. Yeah, it 100% is. Mm -hmm. Like every Final Fantasy game, Secret of Mana, like Romantic yeah. Saga, you just all just thrown in there. Yeah, it's a uh, 
Square Square kind of had a thing at this point. <laughs> kind of did, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also, I can see a lot of the ways that Final Fantasy IX throws back to this game in particular. Oh, yes. Which, that, that was very much their stated goal, was to be like, this is going to be a more traditional Final Fantasy, like what you're used to seeing on the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of transplanted onto the PlayStation era, like, style and mechanics, mm-hmm. which I can see now why some of that stuff sort of clashes and doesn't work quite the way they had hoped. Yeah. Yeah, Final Fantasy IX is is much beloved and for for many a good reason. But yeah, there is mm-hmm. um there is some parts of it that don't don't quite work as well as it should. Right. There's elements that like sort of needed to be updated, but they kind of tried to just transplant in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it it almost gets there in my opinion. Yeah, it Yeah. 9 unpopular opinion, but 9 is one of my least favorite Final Fantasies because of that. Mm. But yeah, you could totally see why they decided to go like, "Oh, well, yeah, Let's harken back to six in terms of like setting and style and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, yeah, six is a very influential game just in general because of that and like where it goes forward from here. And mm-hmm. yeah, like I, I like the way that story just goes from being this very linear thing, having this big shock moment and whatnot, and then just kind right. of moving forward from there. Like, like you can see how it's like the same reason why I like Chrono Trigger so much. Mm-hmm. Of like that reveal, admittedly a far earlier of like, oh no, uh, there's real bad things going on here. Uh huh. You're yep. you're in a post-apocalyptic world. It turns out this weird porcupine mm-hmm. thing did did this. <laughs> that like, yeah, it, it's good. It's good for setting the stakes. Definitely. It also I can see how people were like, man, Fall Fantasy Six. They freaking ended the world. They can't possibly like escalate on that in terms of shock value. Mm-hmm. And they were like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they can't. <laughs> We we can. There's uh, there's one thing we haven't really done yet. Yeah, yeah. You know, Kefka ain't killing Terra in this game. Nope. Nope. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Honestly, that's a real good testament to Final Fantasy VII for a game that you know, you know, obviously the villain doesn't go as far in their goals as they do in this right. game, but like, still ends up shocking you in an entirely different way. Anyways, it kind of does. Yeah, it's a real testament to like the power of storytelling. This like. Wow, they ended the world in the last game. What are they gonna do next? Well, what if we killed one person? Yeah, what if we killed your favorite character? Unless oh, that that down. turns out to be way worse. It turns out, yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially if you equipped good accessories on them. Yeah, actually, don't know if that happens in uh, Final Fantasy VII. They they might unequip uh, Aerith. I'm not sure. They might, although it's possible they don't. It's <laughs> it's it's possible they don't. I'm trying to remember. I think in Persona Three they don't. So they do, they do not JRPGs that. have a history of just no. That's that's gone. Mm-hmm. You forgot. Yeah, uh, four and six actually are also very bad about that. Mm. Uh, six sometimes you need to remember to unequip your party members before they get yeah. forced, forced out of your forced out and you're like yeah. all of a sudden you're not using cells for the vast majority of the game you're like ah oh, shit the video games in general just can be bad about that like freaking onimusha 3 has that problem <laughs> and that's not a game like, i would expect no but it's like okay time for the final boss all my healing items are on the other party member mm-hmm. well learn the pattern <laughs> Yeah, just have have fun, buddy. Oh, good old Onimusha. Love that series. Yeah, it's great. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, that's going to do it for us today, Alex. 
Once again, thank you for doing this with me as always. Of course. And for you, the viewer, if you want to listen to other episodes of Fallen Through Plot Holes, go to ftp.podbean.com or search for Fallen Through Plot Holes on your podcast service of choice. Yeah, leave us a like and a review and a follow and all those good stuff. We really do appreciate it. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube if you search for Fallen Through Plot Holes, where you can leave comments, uh, such as, you know, what's your favorite creepy Final Fantasy character, main character or party member? Are you into Edgar, the guy who looked at a 10-year-old and went, you know, you're just a little too young. Yeah, d- didn't include that little part, but I wanted to make sure I did, because it's a really weird scene that survives it's retranslation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so, there's so many. There really are. There are just so, so many. Yeah, you know, are you into yeah, characters like that? Or, you know, whatever Edge's deal is in Final Fantasy IV? Honestly, a lot of examples in Final Fantasy. The entire character of Locke, really. Yeah. You should let us know, or barring that... You know, let us know what your favorite broken job class in Final Fantasy V is, the game that we're not talking about today. <laughs> you know, either or, I'm cool. But yeah, uh, you can also send those to our email address at fallenthroughplotholes at gmail.com. But yeah, once again, Alex, thank you for doing this. Of course. And take care, everybody. Take care.